And welcome into the Duck Territory podcast. I'm Matt Frame. Eric Scopel's across the way. Hi, guys. Uh, we're changing things up here a little bit. We decided we're with each other on Wednesdays, and we have to do some, some work at football practice. Might as well just roll right into right. recording our podcast for this uh, preview of the, Arizona, of the Cal game a day early than we typically do. Um so moving forward, we're going to start recording these on Wednesdays, and we'll release them probably Thursday mornings. Uh, if you're on Facebook, go ahead, drop questions if you're listening. Uh, we'd love to have your comments about this Cal game. Uh, we're, we're also going to talk about college basketball and, and uh, the monumental, earth-shattering news that happened uh, earlier this week. Um, and then we'll, we'll dive more back into Oregon, California, as that's going to be our primary focus uh, so if you got questions, go ahead and drop them in the comment section for the Facebook Live. If you're curious how to do that and you're listening on the podcast, just go to Oregon, uh, go to facebook.com slash Oregon 247, like our page, and you'll get notifications. Uh, whenever we go on live, whether it's a Facebook Live video or Facebook Live audio podcast version, and you'll be able to hop in the comment section and drop questions in there. So uh, if you have questions, drop them in now. Uh, but Eric, let's dive right in first. We'd be silly to not talk about this. We're knee deep in football, you know, our, our, we're tunnel vision on football. But earlier this week, um, the FBI announced that they have arrested. Ten people, four of them are college basketball assistant coaches. Two of them are at Pac-12 schools. Uh, Book Richardson, Arizona State's assistant coach, uh, and Eric Bland, uh, the USC assistant coach, for bright, for a whole litany of things. Uh, but basically pay for play. Right. Uh, paying athletes, student athletes, either to come to their schools or to stay at their schools or steer them towards agents uh, once they get through with college basketball. And um, while Oregon hasn't been implicated, they haven't been named, uh, there are some connections with some of the recruits that they were going after. Um, and and the, the big one is Brian Bowen, the five-star small forward out of Michigan uh, who plays prep ball in Indiana. Um, he signed with Louisville. And minutes before we started doing this recording, Louisville has announced that they have uh, basically fired Rick Pitino and also the athletic director uh, for the Louisville Cardinals um, because the, the AD was told fire Pitino, save yourself, he didn't do it. Yeah. So they, they both got fired. Um, and we've also now known that Louisville has placed Brian Bowen on uh, administrative leave, and or not administrative leave, but suspended indefinitely. Yeah, he's not playing. And he's not practicing, he's not playing. Uh, he's more than likely going to be deemed ineligible. I, I would be very surprised if a guy who it sounds like is, was paid multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars to play basketball under the table would play a single second of college basketball. I assume they'll probably go overseas. I mean, the, I mean, not not to minimize what happens to the kids because obviously they they wanted to play at these universities, but they, they're still these guys for the most part will still have opportunities to play somewhere. Yeah, their, their, their careers are not over. In, in cases with some of these coaches, it's probably not going to be the case. I think Rick Pitino is probably his last go. Yep. I'm sure he'll end up coaching somewhere in some you know vicinity, but probably not. I mean, Pitino was major, a guy you could argue was a Hall of Famer coach. Yeah, absolutely. And well, his probably, reputation is now tarnished. This will probably yeah. This will. I mean, I'm not sure exactly how the election for college basketball Hall of Fame works, but I'd be very surprised if he's included in it now and. We'll see what goes with him going forward. Another guy like, I mean, I think the big thing here, if you're just looking at it 
from an Oregon perspective is that the two top teams in the Pac-12 this year, the expected two top teams, Arizona, Arizona USC, USC. their Pac-12 media basketball days will be in about two weeks, and I think it would be a shock if those were not the two top teams in the voting there. Um, both involved here, probably decent chance that these teams look drastically different than they were expected to. Or they're ineligible for postseason play. Yeah, so th- th- this has potentially fanta- you know, tremendous implications, potentially positive implications for Oregon if they did, in fact, keep their nose clean here, that two of the conference's premier programs are potentially, you know... Out. Basically done. And I think, you know, look, looking at what happened with you know, Rick Pitino at Louisville, you kind of wonder how much longer Sean Miller keeps his job at Arizona. We all know that he and... Dana Altman have probably been the two most prominent coaches in the conference now for about half a decade, and it looks like there's probably a decent chance Miller's gone. How does that impact the hierarchy? And, you know, as far as recruiting, does this, right. if Oregon did stay clean, I mean, how does this potentially benefit them that Arizona, USC, Louisville, some of these powerhouses are, are potentially, you know, going to get hit? So far, Oregon has not been implicated and hasn't been mentioned um with anything involved with this. So at least right now it looks like they're okay. Um, the only connection you have is with Brian Bowen. And if something had happened with Brian Bowen and Oregon illegally, you probably would know because the FBI had taps uh, basically on everybody involved with Bowen's recruitment out on the Louisville side. So if he had mentioned anything about Oregon, we would have known it known about it by now. But a lot of people have asked, is Oregon safe? Is Oregon going to be okay? I don't think any coach in the country right now, head coach, can can wake up this morning or you know and 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 say we're good. Yeah. We're fine. There's, you know, there's going to be for a while now uh, whether it's a week, whether it's two weeks, a couple months, uh a, a couple years, or I, as long as this investigation goes on, um, where you have to wake up and, and you're going to be a little paranoid. Are, are we okay? Did we do everything by the book? Is is someone out there to smear us or, or did we do something wrong and are we going to get, get caught? Um, so I think there's a little bit of uneasiness across the board for every college program. Yeah. Um, but so far, Oregon hasn't been implicated. We have no idea. We're not going to speculate if they will or, or if they won't. Um, and quite frankly... No one knew of this until the FBI announced it because that's how the FBI works. Yeah. Uh, so don't I wouldn't expect anyone to have the inside scoop on on this type of stuff. You, you don't have any scoops in Langley or whatever. <laughs> you don't have. No, um, but it's it's ground shattering news uh, across the board, and there's going to be more names that are going to come out oh, yeah. because you know the assistant at Arizona, Book Richardson, is facing 60 years. In prison, and I think on top of that, like a 1.5 million dollar fine for for the bribery and uh, fraud charges and everything that comes with it. His charges from the FBI, he's gonna roll. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I have I have very little faith in the fact that he's gonna sit there. I'm gonna fall on the sword in mafia style, and not not talk and protect you know the people that I that I know that are also involved. He's going to, you know, these coaches are going to start talking and it's going to develop, you know, what comes after that. Uh, some Adidas people were involved. There were some uh, agent runners, basically people that kind of connect yeah. uh, agents with athletes since they're, they're not allowed to, to talk. Um, 
there's going to be a lot of stuff that comes, a lot of fallout, and that's, you know, we're just at the tip of the iceberg right now. Absolutely, and, and before we turn to football, it is worth mentioning that Adidas is the only shoe company that has been implicated or has somebody arrested that's representing it, but the schools of the assistant coaches that were arrested, Nike schools, Under Armour schools, so it's not like this and is... And Adidas schools. And Adidas schools, so it's it's not like this is just um, an Adidas thing, and but this is this is a pretty... Uh, widespread kind of colluded effort here from a number of different universities. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out and how what, what are the impacts on this year's season as we're six weeks basically from, from the start. Arizona's media day was scheduled for the day we were recording this podcast. Yeah. That did not happen. Didn't happen. Surprising. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it there's just going to be, I mean, it, you're right. It is going to create just, this huge unknown, this cloud of yeah. uncertainty over the entire sport, not just the Pac-12. I mean, not only was Arizona the prohibitive favorite going into the conference, into the season at the Pac-12 level, at the conference level, you could argue they were the favorites to win the whole thing. Uh, I, th- I think so. I mean, I, haven't, I have not seen a publication that did not have Arizona as the number one team in the last month, so... That will not take place. There's a chance that some of these guys are able to skip town and aren't, don't play for Arizona and play for other schools. So that'll be another thing to track. But let's let's turn it over to football, yeah, because this is this is a, a big story. But I, I know I've got we've already got four questions here regarding the football game. Oregon is playing Cal this week. Yeah, three and one Bears, and it, they're a team. I'm a little bit surprised is playing this well this early under Justin Wilcox, the former. Uh, Oregon boy, or you know, played at Oregon, played his high school ball here in Oregon. Yeah, played his college ball here at Oregon. Was a very good player for the Ducks, uh, and and then has started to branch out. And as he's trying to find you know his his role in, in, in coaching football, he had you know stops at Boise State as defensive coordinator, stops at Tennessee, uh, Washington, USC, uh, and and now Wisconsin, Wisconsin as well. Now he's the head coach. Um, of the Golden Bears, and there's also a couple other guys that are tied to Oregon's, Oregon's offensive line coach for the numerous years, Steve Greatwood, two decades, uh, is coaching with the Bears now. Uh, Ramson Goldpassion is a quality control assistant. He played at Oregon, was GA under Oregon, was a GA under Taggart, I believe, in the spring. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we've also got, on top of that, Jerry Azanero, defensive line coach, who... Spent four years at Oregon under Chip Kelly and was, you know, terrific in, in generating guys uh, to get to Oregon. So a lot of Oregon connections with this Cal team. Um, what we're going to have to look at with this team, though, is are they for real or are they a little bit better than anticipated? The teams they played weren't all that good either and you know someone had to win and they just were the ones to win because you look at UNC they won 35-30 North Carolina I think has won one game mm-hmm. uh, this season uh, Weber State they barely won that one 33-20 at home and then they had the big win against uh, Ole Miss 27-16 but again I don't think Ole Miss is is all that good uh, this season and, and then you've also on top of that have their first loss of the year which was valiant effort, thirty to twenty, but I don't think Cal was really ever in total control of that game. Yeah, well, I think you can certainly you could certainly make an argument that 
Cal isn't as good as a three and one record. Now, with that said, you could probably say the same thing about Oregon. True. And so I, I think, and I think Coach Cristobal said the same thing. Not said the same thing, but said something yesterday that was kind of interesting about how he felt both Oregon and Cal were kind of in the same position. They both started out pretty well in the non-conference, lost their first conference game. Both feel like they need to prove something, especially in the conference. Uh, you know, just in terms of are they able to to compete at this level? Was the non-conference kind of fluky? So. Um, I, I think Cal has performed better than I expected. I, I look more towards the fact that they hung with USC, who to me at this point feels like a, a pretty solid top of the conference team. Obviously, they're rated in the top five nationally right now. A team, I'm not sure they're that good, but I, 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 think, I do think that to me says more than maybe beating North Carolina or beating Ole Miss, which are both teams that I think are probably a little bit overrated um, just based upon how they've Perform, but you could also say the same thing about, like I said, about how Oregon's too. And Nebraska's not as good as we as we thought they were when they played them. They, you know, the following week they lost at home to Northern Illinois. Barely beat Rutgers. Barely beat Rutgers. Uh, Wyoming is nowhere as good as we thought they were, and then they lost to an Arizona State team that you and I have said going in wasn't very good. No. And we watched that game, and you know, I think it's it's easy to say. Oregon was the more talented team. They just played bad. Yeah. No, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, so this game, I think there's a lot of kind of uncertainty here with both programs right now. There's a lot on the line. Two first-year coaches, we should mention in the conference. Um, Both both teams started off well, kind of stumbled last week, and it's kind of a matter of of, uh, of kind of determining which team is, I guess, kind of better off at this point in the season. And we're going to run through, I think, the depth charts. Right, yeah. Oregon released their depth chart on Tuesday um, not really any noticeable differences um, from week to week here. They still continue to list Charles Nelson as a starter in the slot. Um, A.J. Hodgkins is again listed on the depth chart. He is behind Kaolana Apalu, uh, but Hodgkins had started the last two weeks, uh, last three weeks actually, at the inside linebacker spot. He also got hurt in that Arizona State game, mm-hmm. which is a, an interesting notion that he's there. Um, and then we've also got... Uh, Jalen Red has, has kind of assumed the, pos- the position on the depth chart, at least, with where Darian McNeil was, another true freshman. Uh, McNeil was, you know, one of the backups behind Nelson in the slot the first couple of weeks, at least according to the depth chart. Yeah. Um, and now Jalen Red has, has kind of bumped in there. Um, interesting things with, while not necessarily roster news, but just, I was really surprised Brady Alio hasn't played the last two weeks for the Ducks at, at right tackle, backup right tackle for the Ducks uh, behind Calvin Throckmorton. Um, he, he hasn't played two two weeks in a row. He started 12 games, I think, uh, or 10 games. For, 10 games at left tackle. Actually. 10 games at left tackle for Oregon as a true fresh, as a redshirt freshman last season. Uh, so he's only played in half the games. And um, maybe this is a sign, you know, the receiving, you know, the, the, the rotations for Oregon's, you know, position groups are shortening up, tightening up a little bit. You know, another guy that didn't play uh, against Arizona State was uh, Alex Lafarle, a guy we figured was going to have a huge game or have a you know a much bigger role on this team. Uh, Malik Lovett was a guy who hardly played uh, for the, for the Ducks at receiver against Arizona State. So we're starting to see guys and positions shrink a little bit. And then on top of that. Um, everyone also wants to know about Scott Pagano. He's not listed on the depth chart. Hardly played against uh, uh, ASU, and I think Malik Young didn't even play. Yeah, against ASU. No, they've they've certainly seemed to have tightened up their rotations, and I, I'd be interested to see if that continues going forward. Um, 
also surprised about Brady Aiello not playing. I, I I think we went in thinking Oregon has such great depth at offensive tackle, in particular with Aiello and, and George Moore, and the fact that they're not being utilized is a little surprising. Maybe that's an indication, though, that Tyrell Crosby and Calvin Throckmorton are just that, really good. that much better than those two guys. Um, yeah, and I think you know we should probably mention that these depth charts here don't necessarily tell the whole story, I think, because, like you mentioned earlier, Charles Nelson and A.J. Hodgkins probably unlikely to play, both listed in here pretty prominently. Well, I mean, it also shows Arion Springs isn't starting, and he started, I think, last so I think they're just kind of recycling the same depth chart over and over for, for, for the most part. Maybe we should mention some some updates on injuries yeah. that we've seen here. There's been a number of guys. We mentioned two of them who we have not seen practice very much this week. A couple of other people that that are somewhat noteworthy. And that would be that would be Nelson and Hodgkins. Yes. We haven't seen them. Have not seen them at practice this week. Um, still in boots, both of them. Hodgkins on a scooter. Um, did not see a couple of prominent players though um, the last couple of days, which is potentially concerning. Jacob Breland, the tight end, did not see him uh, at practice. Nick Pickett also not seen at practice. Uh, Darian McNeil, same thing, and C.J. Verdell uh, also missing. So that's. Potentially, depending upon why those guys aren't there, we don't know if that's injury-related, if it's, you know, maybe they've Class got some related. sort of get, get mm-hmm. school is starting. Um, those are noteworthy um, absences, though, and something to probably be kind of aware of going forward with this weekend. Um, obviously, Breland and Pickett are two guys that have played a lot for Oregon this year. Both have started, I think, the last three games. Yeah, uh, Breland started all four. Uh, if they're if they're if they're missing an action, that potentially kind of m- moves things around a little bit, and, and we'll see how that uh, with, with kind of what comes how from that. how Oregon responds with the Hoskins injury is going to be a big intrigue to me because they don't have a lot of options. Oh. Do they just roll with uh, Troy Dye, who starts opposite uh, at the other inside linebacker spot, and then just stick with Kalana Apalu and just say you're the two guys you got to play. The entire way through, do they rotate in Jimmy Swain a little bit more? Who you know physically is a guy you would think would just dominate, but just hasn't been able to put it all together in his four seasons at Oregon now. Um, or do they ask Blake Rugraff, a, a walk-on, a guy who had a big spring game? I think he led the team in tackles with over ten. Yeah. Um, but again, he's a walk-on. They got a couple of freshmen, and then too. they have a couple of true freshmen who haven't played yet. Um, or do they do they try and pull somebody else from some you know another position to play inside linebacker? I, I don't know. Um, but a position group going into the year that you knew had very little depth at tight at, at linebacker, and you just lost one of your starters. Who knows how long? Um, it's going to have a ripple effect, though, regardless. Yeah, and I do think you mentioned the potential replacements there. None of those guys are surefire. Bets, right? right? I mean, Kalana Apalu has played quite a bit. Oregon fans are probably not pleased with his plays. Made a number of penalties that have been pretty costly, but he's a guy that has at least this year the most experience playing. He'll probably, I would guess, get the majority of the snaps. But you'd probably like to have a bigger-bodied guy, which is a little bit of what AJ Hodgkins was. He's not the tallest guy, but he at least, you know, I think he's two hundred and thirty pounds. Right. Apalu is like two hundred five. You you want to find a bigger body? That's where maybe a Jimmy Swain, if he could put it all together, comes into play. But the replacements there aren't ideal. You do not have a guy that you point to and go, oh, okay, well, it's not like at some positions on this roster, like a corner, if you lost an area on Springs, you go, oh, well, we've got Diamandre Lenore right. or Thomas Graham or whatever. Inside linebacker, they don't have those luxuries. And so I, I do agree. I think that could be 
potentially a, a big injury, and it'll be really interesting to see how Cal, which which has been much more balanced, I should mention this year in the past, they've yeah. been that bear raid offense, throw it 60 times a game. That's not their identity anymore offensively. They have fullbacks. They play with fullbacks. They're pro style. They're um, 50-50 balance. They run the ball better than any team Oregon has actually played this year, which is surprising, especially because their starting running back is out. Sorry, for it's Cal. It's Cal, <laughs> true, and the starting running back's out for the year. So losing an inside <laughs> linebacker against this team is potentially um, pretty dangerous here. we got some questions here. Uh, Ty Turner, did you see any practice today? We did. We kind of mentioned some of the stuff we saw. It wasn't a whole lot to go to mention to go through. We did watch one-on-one wide receiver, cornerback yeah. drills. Seemed like the receivers were doing really well. The receivers, the receivers seemed to be winning a lot of those reps. Uh, Brady Breeze did have an interception on a, on a pass intended for Jalen Red that was thrown by Taylor Alley. Uh-huh. Um, is Oregon going to have a tougher time with Cal than they did with ASU, says Jordan Fisher. Well, obviously you'd hope not, um, given the result of that game. Uh, I, think, I, I could think I could see it happening. I think I think Cal is more talented than Arizona State. I'd like I'd like to think that um, the game being played at Austin would negate some of that a little bit. At the same time, um, Oregon has not played very well in stretches, regardless of location. I mean, they played a, a total stinker against Nebraska at home. They played kind of a total stinker of a game all the way around against Arizona State. They didn't play great in the second half against Wyoming. So, this is an unpredictable team. Um, I think from a talent perspective, Oregon is still much better at just about every spot than Cal. Um, but Cal's definitely proven, as you, if you just kind of look around what they've done this year, to be a team that is that is definitely capable of, of beating teams that are more talented. I think probably three of the four games they've played have been against teams with more physical talent, the exception obviously being Weber State. So this is a team that's capable of coming in and kind of messing things up, and it's going to come down to Oregon executing um, and, and kind of avoiding penalties, converting on third down, those are some of those kind of key things that they've struggled with the last couple of weeks uh, to try, try to keep this, you know, to, I guess curb that losing momentum and try to get back on the right track. Yeah, I I look at this Cal team and, you know, they're dangerous. Yeah. They're coming off a loss, and anytime you play a team coming off a loss, their first loss, you know, they're chomping at the bit to get back and, and get back to their winning ways. But they've got a good quarterback. They've got some skilled players that are pretty talented now. You know, you mentioned before we started recruiting, uh, recording that you know, Roberson, their best receiver, is, is dinged up, um, and we don't know his status for this game against Cal or against Oregon. But he hasn't played in two weeks. Uh, if he does play, though, I mean, he's he's just another one of those five-star receivers that's that's playing in the Pac-12 and a guy that, that could give Oregon fits, um, especially when if he's matched up against a true freshman. But Still gonna, in my eyes, it's still gonna come down to what defense performs better, uh, Cal's or Oregon's. You know, for the most part, you could argue maybe Oregon hasn't really played anyone talented on offense yet outside of Arizona State. But even in that game, the the, the numbers weren't terrible. But Oregon's defense has played pretty well. Mm-hmm. Their their yards per carry is just I think above four. It's really it's top twenty five in the country. Their yards per game is top twenty five in the country. Uh, they're pretty good on third down. Uh, they're just coming off a game in which they got 13 tackles for loss. Um, Jalen Jelks is a defensive end that's, you know, rounding into form and becoming a, a, a player I think some had hoped he'd become earlier. Um, but perfect time now for, for Oregon to have kind of a defensive force along the line. Uh, and then you look at Cal's defense and, you know, their numbers still aren't good. They're, they're staying in games. Um, and they're, and they're, and they're, they're giving, you know, they're giving their offense a chance to win ball games, obviously, because they're three and one. 
But at the same time, you know, teams are still running the ball over five yards per carry. Teams are averaging almost six yards per play, uh, I think, against their, against Cal's defense. So it's which one plays a little bit better than, than the, they're known for. Mm-hmm. Uh, who creates the turnovers? Who, who gets, gives up field goals instead of touchdowns? Uh, I think both teams are going to score. It's going to come down to what defense makes that extra stop or a couple extra stops. It is worth mentioning that I think Cal's like, Basically, basically every team Oregon has played has a new defensive coordinator, and Cal, Cal's the same way. Obviously, with the coaching staff change, Tim DeRuiter, former Fresno State coach, is their defensive coordinator. It also feels like this has been the trend. But another team that was a four-three front last year going to a three-four, um, so Oregon probably a little more comfortable. That's the defense they play. They face that in practice. Um, I've had a couple of players say that they see a lot of similarities between the two defenses, right? Just in terms of the schematics of it. Um, Cal, Cal is, is, is better defensively than last year. Um, they are second in the conference in forcing turnovers, which is impressive. Um, but when you say better than last year, they were they, the worst. They, they, were, they were the worst <laughs> last year. They're pretty close. To the, they're, they're 11th in, uh, against the pass, 8th in overall in total yardage, 6th against the run, um, and 6th in scoring defense. So they're they're kind of middle of the road to back end and everything. Oregon really hasn't faced a team though that has right. been in the top part of their conference ranks. Nebraska certainly wasn't. We don't know how Oregon will respond against the elite. So offense. at least I mean, we saw how they responded against ASU's and it wasn't very good. And ASU's defense was much further down the list than Cal, so it's hard to sort of project. A lot of this also has to do with who you played and all that right. stuff. But uh, it seems that Cal's defensively is. Is better than last year. They they have actually one guy leading the team in basically every statistical category. Devontae Downs. He's leading the team in tackles, tackles for loss, interceptions, and sacks. So he's kind of their do it everything player. He's a senior inside linebacker. Oregon that's actually gave him a lot of interest coming in. That's a that's a name to watch uh, in terms of how they play defensively. Um, let's see here. A couple questions about taking a knee. I don't know if we want to t- touch that. I mean, we can mention that Taggart has talked about that they wanted to educate their guys on kind of everything going culturally, but I don't know He's if we never, that's going to take place. I, that I know of, no player or coach has gone on record yet saying uh, they plan on taking a knee during the National Anthem. But like you said, he was asked that question on Monday, um, and that they have conversations about stuff like that um, and other things. And he said it's not on – you know, they wouldn't be doing their jobs if they didn't help try and mold these guys as men uh, away from football because there's so much more going on right. uh, than just going to school and going to football practice every single day. So, you know, Taggart's kind of talked about how they discuss these things, but... It's been pretty noncommittal. He's been, yeah, we, we don't know if they're going to kneel or not. I wouldn't expect it happens. If you have a question here regarding Fotoliatu potentially filling in um, at inside linebacker from Daniel Moss... I mean, that's a, he's he, a hard hitter, but at the same he's time... Under, he's about the same size as, as Kelana Epilu. Yeah. Um, he's been playing outside that duck position. Um, we thought he'd probably play more than he has. Lamar Winston has kind of emerged as the starter and kind of the primary I mean, guy maybe, there. Maybe they put Lamar in the middle. Maybe. He, physically, he would make more sense than, than Votu or, honestly, Kalana, um, just in terms of their, their physical stature. So... Yeah, they'll, they'll, that position right there is is kind of the one that we're that we're focusing on today a lot. But I think it's for you know for a lot of importance because that's probably in terms of the defense probably the weakest position to start with. And then they lost the guy that was in that group. That's not a very good no. development for that Oregon defense. Um, looking at the spread here for 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 the game, we're not going to make our picks. Uh, we do those on Fridays, um, and we'll have. Kind of an explanation of, of why we think Oregon will win or why we think Oregon will lose at that time. Right. But I was really surprised when the spread was announced 
Sunday morning. Uh, it opened as a 16-point favorite for the Ducks. Yeah. Higher than it was last week against Arizona State. So Vegas is telling us that they didn't think Cal was as good as Arizona State. Or you can make a case they're pretty similar because home and away type right. differences. Uh, Oregon obviously didn't cover. They didn't, they didn't just win. They didn't even, you know. Uh, and then on top of that, I was kind of surprised more so because Cal only lost by 10 at home to USC. And while they never really had control of that game, it felt like they were always one or two plays away from equalizing things and, and, and tying things up. Um, you know, they needed to have a couple breaks go their way to, to take the lead, but it seemed like they were always within earshot, within arm's reach of making that a tied ball game. So I was really surprised. A 16-point line opened up. It's now quickly dropped to uh, 13 and a half at most places. I think looking at Cal, I don't know if they have the talent, <laughs> but I think that they have a good veteran coaching staff, and I kind of see them as a team that it's going to be hard to blow out. Frankly, yeah, I can see, and that. I could be totally wrong. That Oregon might win by fifty, but I, I think they feel like a team that is going to be well prepared, that's going to have a good game plan, and if they lose, it's going to be because the other team's just better, you know, more talented that they that they were prepared for a lot of the things that took place, but we're not not able to defend it or to take advantage of it because they just don't have the athletes. So, I, I, I right now it's thirteen and a half. I don't know if I think Oregon will cover that spread. I think it, I think it could be I think it very well could be a two score game. I think we're going to win by ten, but I'm I'm you know and, and and I'm just a little bit hesitant right now. I think Cal has played basically everybody pretty close. I don't see them being a team that's going to get blown out, and I certainly think that there's a lot on the line for both staffs. It's just, you know this is their first um, first trip, two first year head coaches. Neither of them has a conference win. I think both of them won it badly. I think I think both teams are going to come out pretty well prepared. I mean you look at. Justin Wilcox is a first-time head coach, but Bo Baldwin and Tim DeRuiter, who are his coordinators, those are both experienced coaches. And they head coaches. Head, I mean, experienced head coaches. I mean, Bo Baldwin left Eastern Washington to go to Cal. Yeah, to I be. mean, to be the offensive coordinator, running backs assistant, and the assistant head coach. I mean, he, he gave up control of a program. That was good. That was Very good. really good at the FCS level to be the offensive coordinator under Wilcox. Tim DeRuiter was... The head coach at Fresno State, um, Jerry Azanero was NFL experience, an associate head coach at the NFL level. I think he was also associate head coach at Oregon at one point. Um, Steve Greatwood was a guy who had job offers to be head coaches at other places while he was at Oregon, um, and he stayed there to be the offensive line coach. Um, Marquis Tuiasosopo is a guy who's you know he's played at, at a high level in the Pac-12, and he's also coached. Uh, prominent positions at multiple Pac-12 schools. Yeah, so this is a veteran coaching staff, and like I said, I just I think Oregon has more talent. I don't know. I think Oregon will win. I think, it, but I don't know if they'll. I don't think I'm going to say they won't cover. I just think this is going to be a pretty competitive game. I actually think it may be more low scoring than than you were getting at earlier, Matt. Just because I think the, this this coaching staff is is highly defensive, in you know, in terms of their experience. I mean, their head coach is a former defensive coordinator. Their defensive coordinator is obviously a guy who's got a lot of experience, experience in that position. at the position. So I, I, I think this is going to be a pretty competitive game that's probably going to be pay, played in the 30s to the 40s, not necessarily with a, you know, not necessarily a 50 point right. outcome. So I don't think, I, I wouldn't say Oregon would score 50 points against this Cal team. I would be um, surprised. I would be surprised if they got to like 47. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, I think it's going to be somewhere in the low 40s. 
and, and that's kind of just where college football is at anyways these days uh, in scoring. But I'm hit or miss on the line, and then maybe it's just because I'm so terrible at picking the line. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, true. You're, I think we're both combined like 9 for 28 or something this year on picking the spread. I think it's going to be a push. I think Oregon wins by 13 points. All right. I, I, I just think for whatever reason – like you said, Oregon has more talent, uh, especially more talent on the offensive side of the football. It's a home game. Um, I, I think, I, I think it was more of a fluke at Arizona State. Yeah. I mean, you look at you look at the numbers: fourteen penalties, ninety-nine yards. It was actually seventeen. Cal or Arizona State just declined three of them. Yeah. Uh, Oregon had one of eleven on third down conversions. And yet, with four minutes in the football game, they had a one-point lead uh, in that game. You know, all you know, five, four straight three and outs in the first half, uh, and they actually had six drives that really, you know, if if you count the fact that Arizona State muffed a punt right before the end of the first half, Oregon scored on their first play. You eliminate that one. You know, they only had one scoring drive. They only had, I think, two drives at all that mattered in terms of yardage. Uh, in the first half, I think that was more of a fluke than anything. Um, Oregon played just really bad at the wrong time against the wrong team. If they did that against Southern Utah, you know they'd still have walked away with a good win, easy win. Um, but I think that's a wake up call as well for the, for this team. So I, I think at home, you know, I, I, they played better at home, in my opinion, as, at least offensively they have. Mm-hmm. Um, They'll, they'll get the win, but it, like like you said, I don't think they were going to blow them out like I was maybe thinking two, three weeks ago uh, yeah. or even beginning of the season. Yeah, no, and that's one of the things that's interesting about this game. This went from being kind of, I think, in a lot of people's minds and ours included when we did our preseason breakdown, kind of a throwaway game. I mean, the expectation was that Cal was going to finish probably fifth or sixth in the Pac-12 North and, and not be very competitive. And yet you look up and they started off 3-0 and with two pretty good wins against F, um, the Power 5 teams. And, and, they, and they played USC pretty good. So I, I, I think Cal's better than we expected. Oregon's probably about where we thought they'd be. Um, I think, I mean, I think going they just to, got there differently. They just, they just got there differently. I think about 3-1 and one was probably about what we expected. We thought maybe they could be 4-0 and oh right now, but 3-1 and one wasn't unreasonable. But the fact they lost to Arizona State was kind <laughs> of the surprising part. I thought either Nebraska or, or Wyoming was going to be where they would stumble. Uh, looking at this game, though, it's huge for both teams mm-hmm. because for an Oregon perspective, and this is how we'll wrap the podcast up, is unless you got some more questions on Facebook. We don't have um, right now, so guys, if you do have more questions, go ahead and toss them in right now because we are going to be wrapping up. Give you a couple minutes here to, to get those in. This Cal game, you know, Oregon sits at three and one. They're one game away from equaling their win total from the 2016 season at four. Uh, and I, I think, you know, the, yeah, they'd be, and they'd be one game away from then equaling their Pac 12 win total of two. Right. They won two Pac 12 games last season. Um, but you look at the games that come after this one, at home against Washington State, at Stanford, at UCLA, at number 20, Utah, at number 6, Utah, Washington. Utah's at home. Oh, yeah, excuse me. Verse, uh, number 20, Utah at home, and then you also play Washington State on the road, who's a top 10 team. You could considerably say, hey, look, Cougars are 16th in the country. They're probably going to lose that game. They're probably going to lose at Stanford. UCLA's offense is going to keep them in that game. It's a road game. You know, easy. You could easily say they're going to win just as much as they're going to lose. Utah, it looks 
really good defensively and capable of coming into Hudson again and winning. And in Washington, it, it's safe to say, you know, Oregon's going to be a heavy underdog in that one. They could lose five straight games uh, b- b- before you look up and realize, oh, my goodness, if Oregon loses at Cal, that would be six straight. That would be seven straight. Seven straight, yeah. You know. No bowl game. Yeah. You're not. You're not getting into a bowl game. No. So this, this is well. And, and if you lose seven straight, then it's it's. You look at Arizona and Oregon State, who are, I think we think probably the two worst teams in the conference at home. Those games look like gimmies. But you lose seven straight. Who knows what their mindset is going to those games? And who this could go from a three and zero start to nine losses. And I don't think we really expect that'll happen because I think we've right. seen enough encouraging things from both sides of the ball that. This doesn't feel like a team that's going to lose that many games but in a row. But that's just how big of a monumental but, game but this, this is. is. A, this is a huge kind of crossroads game here because if you drop this game, like you said, it's murderer's row for the next six weeks, and you don't want to fall. You know, you don't want to enter that with negative momentum. Picking up a win here is huge. Um, it is worth mentioning, and I posted on the board uh, yesterday that the uh, ESPN has a football power index, which is their FPI uh, projection, and Oregon is currently projected to finish nine and three this year, which is actually the same record they projected. Two weeks ago, without the Arizona State loss, um, because they have dipped considerably in their opinion of UCLA, and they now have Oregon winning that game. According um, to the FPI, Oregon is expected is actually a pretty sub- substantial favorite against everybody um, left on their schedule, minus Stanford, UCLA, and Washington. They have Oregon beating UCLA in like a 54% confidence confidence rate. And then losing at Stanford and Washington, and those are like pretty low confidence. So they're, they, they're still confident that Oregon's going to beat Washington State handedly. They have them at sixty-four percent. Wow, that's and they, and they have Utah at eighty-six percent, and they have Oregon State at ninety-six percent. Ouch. Yeah, that's not a lot of respect for the Beavers. But <laughs> but you know, so and actually, I mean, the, games aren't played on paper. They actually have Arizona has a higher chance of winning than Utah, which is bizarre to me. That's really weird. So anyway, so I mean, like if you look at it, so there's some level of optimism. If you look at just the way FPI is projecting, I don't know how good they usually are at this, but this is a metric right. that ESPN uses. And ESPN is at least a valid news source, so there's some validity to it. Right. They still think Oregon is capable of winning nine games this year. I think you look at the schedule and, and it could get a hand in a bad way pretty easily, but that's why this game is so so important. You just you need to win this game because you have good confidence in this Oregon team beating Arizona and beating Oregon State. I think that's fair to say, but there's it's it's not even fifty fifty in my mind for the rest of the games of Washington State, Stanford, UCLA, Utah, and Washington. Maybe maybe UCLA. It's probably better than 50-50. Yeah. Uh, but the rest of them, you've got. If you lose the Cal, you've got to find two wins between Washington State, Stanford, UCLA, Utah, and Washington, with the assumption that you're going to be able to handle Arizona and Oregon State, and, and not having some kind of a bad slip up, yeah. which we've already seen happen once this season. Right. So that's what makes this Cal game so important: is that you're going to have a slip up, you're going to have a bad performance, you're going to get blown out by somebody. Uh, in, in, in the next five games, I think, um, if not blown out, you're gonna you're you're almost guaranteed not guaranteed, but chances are very low of you winning one of those you know one of those games. You're, you're gonna have slim pickings to win, mm-hmm. so that makes this Cal game just critical because you get the four, you're two wins away, you still have the two easy gimmies in Arizona and Oregon State at the back end of the schedule, and then that this is where you can improve. The type of bowl game you can go to. Maybe you knock off a Washington State. Maybe you knock off a Utah and then a UCLA. And then you, you, you tack on to that with the Cal win, the Arizona win, the Oregon State win, and you're talking nine and three. That's how you get to nine and three. Right. 
All right, that's going to do it for us on the podcast. Again, if you like us on Facebook, go to facebook.com slash Oregon247. Like us there. You'll be able to join our, our Facebook Lives uh, when we do practice recaps. Also, when we do uh, podcast lives, uh, you'll be able to join this, in this podcast as we're recording it uh, instantaneously and be interactive with us, uh, drop questions in. And then uh, also go to DuckTerritory.com. We've, we've got tons of, of recruiting news, tons of basketball news, tons of team coverage uh, leading up to this game. Uh, there's going to be a lot of recruits on hand for basketball, uh, two five-star recruits. We should have mentioned that at the beginning. Uh, Bull Bull, number three, the number three overall player in the, in the class of 2018. And then uh, Emmett Williams, uh, a power forward that's also a five-star prospect. So it's a critical day for Oregon football. And it's also going to be a critical day for the future of Oregon basketball as well. Uh, we'll be covering everything with Oregon athletics, uh, as we always do with football, basketball, recruiting, what have you, on, on DuckTerritory.com. So uh, until we talk to you on Monday when we recap the Cal game, we'll be seeing you soon. Thanks, guys. See you guys.